in your bulletin, I brought mine up here this morning because it says that we're going to have a biblical view of all things. So buckle in. We're going to be here for a few days now. Um, that study uh, was came to me, and the the motivation for that study came from the conference that I just attended in Florida three three weeks ago uh, with Pastor Jerry Rag, and I took a seminar actually on biblical biblical philosophy of ministry. And as I was preparing that message this week, I was very excited. And by late on um, Thursday, when we printed the bulletins, I realized that it was going to be really long and really tedious and was going to keep you here a long time. So um, that's not what I'm preaching on this morning. Uh, that document will hopefully get done here soon. Um, you'll have an opportunity to, to see it. It might even be on our website at some point. Um, but I'm gonna, I went ahead and shifted on Friday, and uh, the, the conference that I attended was called, the, the, the theme was The Care of Souls. And Pastor Jerry Ragg did a wonderful job unpacking 1 Thessalonians for us. And as I have been meditating since then on the pastor's role, the elder's role, the care of souls, the passage, there was one passage that continually kept coming back to me, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament regarding pastoral ministry, and that is from Colossians chapter 1. So if you will turn with me there. Colossians chapter 1 is where we will spend our time this morning. The title of our message, if you want to correct it in your bulletin there, is The Marks of Ministry. And we're only going to look at one verse, but I want to read the whole paragraph that that verse comes to us in. In Colossians chapter 1. Verse 20, verses 24 to 29, and we're just going to focus on verse 28 this morning. You'll want to have a Bible open because we'll be referring back to it in a few other passages as well. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. One of the things that I really like about living in the Teton Valley is that we're close to wildlife. I visited a friend's house quite, quite a few years ago now, and he had set up out in, a, out in the uh, the lower pasture, or, or meadow, I guess, more accurately, below his home, a salt lick and a feeder. And various moose and elk and deer come, and you get to watch them. And, and uh, I, I guess there's probably some legality about that, but we can erase that off the tape, maybe, um, of feeding wildlife. But I remember the day we were there, there we, I think we had just missed seeing wolves chase white-tailed deer across the hill, um, I love to watch wildlife. I love to go to the national park. I love to see that. But it just reminded me as I was thinking about the shepherding of souls and the care of souls and the imagery that 
our Lord Jesus uses over and over of the shepherd and the sheep. And that Christ is our good shepherd who cares for our soul. You have a wildlife feeder. It's like, you know, there they come and there they go. You just, you just watch and you see, and it's like, you know, it's a tough winter. Last year was a really tough winter, and so a lot of the baby fawns died in the, in the harshness of the cold and the depth of the snow in the spring, and they couldn't get down to food to eat, and many deer perished. But for a shepherd, that's not how it works. For a shepherd, you bring the sheep in. You bring them into the sheepfold. You gather them, and you feed them, and you make sure that they're all well-fed. I remember seeing... In National Geographic, they did, a, they did a piece on Wyoming and a, a shepherd in Wyoming and this cowboy guy in his covered wagon camper in a terrible cold snap bringing all these baby lambs into the, the camper wagon and putting diapers on them because they were making a mess. <laughs> it was really funny. But it's not, he, he's doing whatever it takes to take care of the sheep. And that's such the picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he does whatever it takes to take care of us. He doesn't just say, you go, and, you know, there you go. And go off to destruction, you know, harsh winter, you're going to die. No. He gathers his sheep. He protects them. He takes care of them. And then to his under-shepherds, to those who he calls to his work, the elders or the pastors, he entrusted them his sheep to care for them. Verse 28 gives us the marks of that ministry, encapsulated. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, just as the shepherd gathers those little lambs to protect them from the cold, makes sure that they're well-fed, protects them while they're out on the range grazing in the sagebrush out there. His goal is to see them grow to maturity, and that is the work and goal of every shepherd in God's church. And as we'll see this morning, there is great application for every sheep as the body of Christ ministers one to another. So this morning as we look at Colossians 1.28, we're going to see very simply the marks of ministry, or we could say the marks of a biblical ministry, is to pr- proclaim Christ, to pursue individuals, to practice discipleship, and to promote maturity. Number one, to proclaim Christ. Right there, we're just going to look at verse 28. Him we proclaim. Paul says, we proclaim Christ. The Greek word here means just exactly as it's translated, to proclaim or to announce about someone. It is the word used most in the New Testament for Paul's preaching. And there's two Specific components to proclaiming Christ in this verse. One is warning, translated in ESV, which means admonishing, and also teaching. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to look at the content first of the proclamation. If you look there in verse 28, it is the person of Jesus Christ. We proclaim him. Whenever Paul proclaimed the gospel, he was proclaiming the person of 
of Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ, Him we proclaim. What are we when we're sharing the gospel with people? We're not inviting them to a club. We're inviting them to come to Christ, to put their faith in the Savior, in the Lord Jesus, the risen, living Savior. Christ is the gospel. Paul rejoiced when Christ was proclaimed. Philippians 1.18 What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. He said that while in prison, writing the book of Philippians, and in the context of people who were seeking to cause him harm. And he said, hey, if they're proclaiming Christ, I rejoice. And it's an interesting passage, but we're not going to unpack it today. But the point is just that Paul wanted people to put their faith in Christ. And however that happened, he was rejoicing that it did. And of course, this is because salvation is found in Christ himself. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This, we are not calling people to an idea. The gospel does not call you to a position. It calls you to a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, Him we proclaim. The mark of ministry is to proclaim Christ, to not be ashamed, to not be ashamed of the gospel. To not be ashamed of the one who went to the cross and died for you. And sometimes that's what you got to get over. Sometimes you're held back because you're embarrassed. And so sometimes we just need to consider, well, what is salvation exactly? What is this? Is this something I come to so that I get to hang around these great people? <laughs> that, is, that is an attraction. Especially for single men sometimes. <laughs> What is this? What are we doing? Why are we here? Man has sinned. God created a perfect universe. He created a perfect world. He created perfection. If you can imagine a garden that is absolutely perfect. And he put two people in there in a state of sinless joy. And in their rebellion, they messed it up. And they sinned. And now, because God is holy and righteous, there's a consequence for sin, and that sin is death. Christ came and died on the cross to rescue you from eternal death. Being a good person, being a moral person, being a politically conservative person, being a person who even sacrifices themselves. Paul says you can sacrifice yourself in the flames for people will not save your soul. You will spend eternity separate from God if you reject Jesus Christ. The, the Christian message is that our sin separates us from Him. Breathing the air in this world is a grace, a privilege. And one day that will run out and then you will face judgment. And the only 
antidote for your sin is the blood of Christ, that you have put your faith in him, that you have given your all to Christ in faith. So if you're ashamed of the gospel, you haven't yet done that. You haven't yet come to the one that Paul proclaims. We proclaim Christ. Are you willing to confess him? Are you willing to proclaim him? Will you tell others about him? As Paul does, such a great example. Too many times we meet people, and we have a good desire, my brothers and sisters, and we, we go and we, we, we make an appointment and we meet them and we invite them, we really want to invite them to church, or we even better, we want to tell them about Christ and the hope of eternal life and salvation, and we end up talking about a bunch of other stuff. Happens to me too. We may even find ourselves sharing opinions on matters that have little or nothing to do with the all-important state of the other person's soul. Friends, let us today resolve together, myself included, to proclaim Christ. Amen? Let's proclaim Him. Let's be a church from which the gospel of Jesus Christ sounds forth. We need to adopt the focus of the Apostle Paul who said in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. At some point in the conversation, ask the person, have you ever heard about Jesus Christ? Then affirm with Paul the gospel. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His, of his love. If you believe in Him, you will have eternal life. What do you think? I have my coffee. I'm still ordering it. I haven't even got here yet. Tell them about Christ. We need this faithfulness. We need to, we need to develop this faithfulness to God. Because in 1 Peter 2.9 it says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Friends, your salvation is not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. It is full, full inclusion in the kingdom as a child of the king. You are part now, if you are a believer, you are part of the royal priesthood of believers. 1 Peter 2.9, if you're taking notes. You are God's own possession. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. We were bought by the precious blood of Christ. 1 Peter 1.19. And Peter finishes that sentence in 1 Peter 2.9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God did all this for you, and now he just asks you, go tell people about my son. Proclaim him who called you out of darkness and gave you this great inheritance in the light. We are the privileged, chosen people, members of the royal priesthood. Hey, just as a good soldier stays on mission, we need to faithfully proclaim the message that he has entrusted to us, and the message is Christ himself. The marks of ministry, the first mark is the proclamation of, 
of Jesus Christ. The second one is to pursue individuals. Uh, Verse 28 again, we proclaim him warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That word, the the term everyone is there three times in the past in that one sentence. Everyone. If there is a challenge for the church today, it is to get past our preferences and our biases and reach out to people that we might not readily identify with. The church is to be a diverse group of people from every tribe and nation. That we would cross all barriers with the gospel. Christians can make much of issues that divide us morally, culturally, or politically. And then by doing so, we close the door to a hearing of the gospel. I like to think, friends, before I say something to someone who may be really passionate about a particular issue, are my comments going to put up a barrier to the gospel? Because if they are, then I'm just going to give it a pass. I don't need to correct him on every single issue, right? Amen. You're an ambassador for Christ. So when you're in those conversations, and maybe if it's even a hot button for you, right? Maybe it's abortion. Maybe the person's going on about abortion rights. That's a tough one. Maybe you could just say, well, I believe in the sanctity of all life, and then kind of go on. But how can I share the gospel with this person? Am I willing to cross some barriers? I mean, some of us, I think, don't even, you know, there are certain people we don't even want to talk to. We don't even want to sit by. We need to be, we need to be ready to do just what Jesus did. When he calls Matthew to follow him, Matthew, you know, we're studying Matthew, so I'm preaching to the choir here, hopefully you know all this, but he calls this, this Jewish guy, hey, come follow me. Look, he was the scourge of the earth to Jews. He was working with the Romans to rip people off and make himself rich in the process. Fellow Jews, that's who Levi was, Matthew. And Jesus said, hey, follow me. You're on my team. <laughs> right? What does he do? Well, he's so excited, he throws a party. Throws a party. Well, who's he, who's he invite? Well, nobody that anybody likes. Other tax collectors. And then scandalous sinners. That's the only other people who would associate with him and his friends. Jesus went right into the party. Sat down, socialized, ate, drank with outrageous sinners of his day. As you know the story, he was criticized by the religious elite. This is Matthew 9. And his reply to the religious elite in Matthew 9 is this, verses 12 and 13. But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is our Lord. This is the King. This is is the one we follow. This is the one who says, go proclaim me to the nations. And he's pattering for us. Here's one way you do it. 
You go to the despised. You go to the rejected. You go to those who people, good Christian people, don't like to hang out with. And you go talk to them and you proclaim Christ. You pursue individuals. And here's, here's a question. Here's the question from what Jesus said in Matthew 9. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Will we be merciful? Are you willing to show mercy to the outcasts of your day? Friends, pray for me too. I struggle with this just like you do. Just like you do. When you see people who stand for everything that is perverse, everything that is wrong, everything that is morally degrading, and you think hell awaits you, we need, to, we need to proclaim Christ and pursue individuals. If the Lord has brought that person into your life, then he has done that sovereignly. There are no mistakes with God. Even when you go to Brolem's, that person was sovereignly brought into your life. Will you be merciful? Will you pursue individuals? The marks of the ministry, proclaim Christ, pursue individuals, and practice discipleship. Practice discipleship. Back to our verse there, verse 28. For him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And here is the proclamation. It is a warning. Uh, The Greek there is nutheo. Uh, It is a word directed to Christians. It is a warning against straying away from faith in Christ. The word literally means to admonish. Paul warned the Ephesian elders, and from among you your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That was his farewell speech in Acts 20 when he went to Miletus and he called the Ephesian elders to come, and he warns them that false teachers from their, are going to rise from their own ranks. They're not only going to come from the outside, but they're coming from the inside. Eternal life was at stake, and Paul did not hesitate to warn the leaders of the church. Paul, in his letter of correction to the Corinthian church, said, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Same word, nutheto. So Paul writes to the Corinthians He says, I'm writing for correction, to admonish you. Admonishment is teaching with correction. You're doing that wrong, do it this way. Just as a loving parent loves their child and warns them against harm, admonishes them to do things that are right and not wrong. And the call, interestingly, and this is fascinating, the call to admonish other Christians is not left to the apostles or just to the elders and pastors of the church. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 15. And some of you have already memorized this, so you know right where I'm going. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. As we pursue and practice discipleship, the mission of the church, go therefore and make disciples, Part of that is to admonish people. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. 
Paul here is addressing the whole church. He is not just talking to the leaders in verse 14. He says in Romans 15, 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, which means brothers and sisters, all believers in the church, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. That's a soft translation, instruct. That is the word. That's our word, nutheto. It means to admonish. It means to give instruction with correction. It is, it is the responsibility of every believer in the body of Christ. An example would be from the Thessalonian church. In, for, you can turn back to Colossians. Uh, if you've marked that in your Bible there in Romans 15, 14, Colossians 1. An example would be from the Thessalonian church. Um, in, in Thessalonica, there was kind of this people, these guys who were kind of considering themselves super spiritual and they were just waiting for the Lord. We're just waiting for the Lord, bro. We're just waiting for the Lord to come back and, you know, we're going to play our guitars and sing praise songs all day long. And, and, and then, you know, the Lord didn't come back right away. And so they were continuing to, you know, hang out and pray and read their Bibles and play their guitars and, and um, they didn't work and they ran out of money. Uh, and then they were couch surfing at people's homes and, there was a problem in the Thessalonian church because of these guys who thought they were super spiritual. So Paul writes to them and says in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, as we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. He goes on to say, if you do not work, you shall not eat. And so these guys needed to get off their loafing and they needed to get to work and worship the Lord. Um, so he tells him in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, admonish the idol. Paul notes that the church is to respect those leaders also who are called to teach and admonish. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So the practice of discipleship includes this warning or admonishing, warning everyone and the next aspect is teaching everyone. Teaching is the more positive activity of communicating Christian truth. Teaching is often used in the New Testament to denote authoritative communication of gospel truth. Ephesians 4.11, teachers are one of the gifts that Christ gives to his church. 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Jesus commanded in the Great Commission that making disciples includes teaching, so it is a critical aspect. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus said when you go to make disciples, don't just get a profession of faith and baptize them, but now disciple them, teach them all that I have commanded you. And again, believers, not just the leaders in the church, are called to teach one another. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So it is the, it is the responsibility of every believer to be teaching at some level. You say, Jim, that's not my gift. <laughs> that's why you're up here and I'm in the pew. 
I'm not teaching. I'm not a teacher. That's okay. You, not everyone has the gift of teaching, but you can always share something that you have learned from the Word of God with someone else. Amen? And that could be in, in any situation that the Lord brings your way. And so we need as believers to be ready to open our Bibles and share with others and oftentimes according to their needs and what they're struggling with and what they're wrestling with. The third aspect of this, making a practice of discipleship, is warning, teaching everyone with all wisdom. With all wisdom. Just as people need wisdom to know how to live out the true knowledge of God, so the preacher needs wisdom to know how to teach and admonish the people. Wisdom was especially needed in the church at Colossae to discern between the apostolic truth that they had been taught and the heresy that was infiltrating the church at that time. If we were to make an application to ministry in wisdom, we would say things like, let's ask good questions. Let's get to know the person that we're meeting with if we're, if we've, if we're meeting one-on-one with someone. Don't be afraid. Here we go back to our first point, proclaiming Christ. Don't be afraid to ask them how they are doing spiritually. How are things going for you spiritually? How's your faith in God? Share with me how you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Practice Wisdom would say practice being a good listener to others, not always sharing your opinion. For the pastor, I wanted to share a few things with you that just jump, jump at me as I read verse 28. And that is the pastor's priority in making disciples. And so I'm going to shift a little bit from direct application to everybody to kind of focusing on Christian leaders. The first one is mission. There's three things, mission, model, and ministry. It's not in in our outline today. This is extra. Mission, model, and ministry. The leaders of your church always need to keep the church on mission because there are tons of groups of people today that call themselves churches that have all kinds of different ideas about what the purpose of the church is. I already read it to you just a few moments ago. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. That's the mission of the church. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. Everything else falls under that. Everything else falls under the mission of the church. You say, well, Jim, what about a person who's, 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 who's hurt and who's coming in and is just broken over you know, something terrible done to them or their husband left them or whatever? That what we're bringing to bear to that person in love and compassion is the truth of God's Word. And when you're doing that, they're learning about their loving and compassionate Lord. Friends, that's discipleship. You're helping that person in their walk with God. You say, what if they don't know God? What if they came and they need help and they're, they're not a Christian? Then I'm sharing the gospel with them. That's the first step in discipleship. Every ministry of the church falls under the mission of making disciples. I was just on the internet looking at a, 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 a mission, or I guess they called it a vision, of a church in, an, in another state, in another town, and it had nothing to do with the Great Commission. It was good stuff. It was they, wanted to, they wanted to have generational families. 
Like we're, Our mission is to have generational families in the church. In other words, we want people to grow up knowing the Lord, and then we want their children to grow up in our church knowing the Lord. And, and that was the end of it, other than that they were King James only, which is a problem, another thing we'll talk about another day. But I just thought, you know, it, it, I'm sorry, it's not only misdirected, it's arrogant. The Lord gave us... Handed us down the mission. We didn't come up with it. The Lord tells us what the mission is. And so you can have all kinds of good things that, if you're not careful, will supersede what the mission is. And so the mission helps drive us, helps, helps our, us have a compass, helps the pastor keep his focus on what he should be doing, that the mission is about disciple-making. And then the model Turn with me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, just a couple of pages over to the right from Colossians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, You are witnesses, and God also. So before God, he says this. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Um, Paul is able to appeal to his witness to the Thessalonian church, and he says it was holy and righteous and blameless toward you. He's not saying he never sinned. He's not claiming sinless perfection, but he said our witness to you was above reproach. It was blameless. Friends, your pastor, your elders should be not only staying on mission, but they should be modeling to you what it means to be a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the wonderful thing about the church is you have direct access to everybody. So if you see me or you see another leader that's not acting, inconsist- acting consistently with Paul's admonition here, Paul's instruction, let him know. Let me know. Hey, I saw you the other day, and I wasn't really excited to tell my friend that that's my pastor, right? May that never happen. But, it, but if it does, you, you be sure to tell your leaders. They need to model for you what it means to be a disciple of Christ. The pastor's priority in making disciples is to stay on mission to model to the church and to everybody else what it means to be a Christian. And lastly, the ministry. He equips others to be disciple makers. A couple more pages over in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul again gives us the, the instruction here. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. He writes to the young pastor, Timothy, and he says, Verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. We are called to equip people for the ministry. And so all of, all of the teaching of the church has the goal of equipping you to minister to others, not only for your maturity, but for you to also be able to turn around and use that to bless other people. So the practice of discipleship, we'll go back to Colossians chapter 1. The 
practice of discipleship. Proclaim Christ to pursue individuals. Practice discipleship. These are the marks of the ministry. And lastly, number four, to promote maturity. Look there at verse 28 with me again. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul has an awareness that at the end of days, when Christ comes back, there will be a presenting, in a sense. He will present those to whom he ministered as mature believers. Supremely, Christ presents the church, his bride, on the last day, according to Ephesians 5.27, in heavenly glory. We are the bride of Christ. And we will present it when our sanctification is complete, as we live this life trusting Christ, following him, we will be brought home to heaven, and then your battle with sin will be done. That's what we look forward to. We look forward to seeing the face of Christ, and of all the kingdom glories that we could imagine, the golden streets, being see the new Jerusalem, having Christ present with us, next best thing will be sin will be no more. The struggle will be over. Christ will present his church holy and blameless and above reproach. The Bible also says in 2 Corinthians 4.14 that God the Father will present us, bring us into his presence. So it's Christ, it's God the Father, and here in our text, Paul and his fellow workers, he uses we uh, there in verse 28, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so this is an interpretive issue, and I believe the key is the phrase, in Christ. Believers who are in Christ share an essential unity with Him so that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all work in unity to present believers as totally sanctified on the last day. So as we trust in Him, as we live in Christ, we will present those who are under our care Lord willing, as mature, fully complete at the last day. That we may present everyone mature. The word mature here is teleos. The New American Standard translates it complete. The NIV translates it fully mature. In our English Standard Version, it is just mature. The word refers to totality. It's not easy to translate here. Totality as opposed to something partial or something limited. It is in total. The word speaks of being, from from the Greek lexicon, the word speaks of things in full measure, undivided, complete, or entire. So complete, actually in the NAS, a very literal translation. Doug Moo is helpful here. uh, He's always helpful in his commentaries. He says this, the English word mature does not quite capture the meaning of teleos. Teleos connotes the quality of being so, so wholehearted in one's devotion to the Lord that one can be said to be blameless in conduct. It is the uncompromising life. Moo also mentioned, as I read that yesterday, he mentioned that mature can give us the, the idea that we are more mature than someone else, and so it's kind of comparative. 
So we would be a little bit farther along than someone who was less mature. And he said that that's what distracts from the idea of wholehearted devotion to the Lord in a life that is above reproach and blameless conduct. That's the goal. You say, wait a minute, I thought, Jim, that was for elders in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, that whole above reproach thing. It's like, yes, it is, but it has application for everybody. For everybody, men and women, every believer in Christ. To live a life that is blameless. The Hebrew equivalent of this word is used in Genesis 6-9 and describes Noah as blameless. So we know Noah wasn't without sin. And we know every New Testament believer is not without sin. But a life that is above blame. This is what we're after. This is the type of maturity that Paul writes about here. To be mature is to be Christ-like. All Christians are to follow Christ in such a manner as to become like Him in character or conduct. So what's your standard? Hopefully you said, Jesus, I want to be like Him. That's who I want to be like. Now, the Lord has brought wonderful people into my life through the years. Since, uh, I don't know how many years it's been, since 1988, when I receive faith in Christ. The Lord has allowed me to have relationships with great men and women who I look to, even today, I look back on or look to them still as models of how to live your life for Christ. Friends, we are called to be those people. You are called to be that person, to be the mature example But take heart, it is not sinless perfection. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 3.12, not that I have already attained it. He's like, I'm not there yet. This sinless perfection, this full sanctification. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ has made you his. Paul says, press on. Press on and live a blameless life to his glory. And I would just add to that, full of the joy of your salvation. One day our sanctification will be complete. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. I don't know if you've ever thought, stopped to pause on 1 John 3, 2, that you will be like Christ when you see him. You won't be deity, but you will be without sin. Your sanctification will be complete. Maturity is the goal for which the pastor labors. Colossians was written by Paul in prison in Rome. It was when 60 to 62 AD, sometime in that time. The occasion for him writing this letter, which is one of what's called his prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, um, was the arrival of Epaphras from Colossae. Epaphras was most likely converted to the faith by Paul during his three-year ministry in Ephesus. You can read about it in Acts 19. And Epaphras, it would seem, was either a leader or perhaps the pastor of the church in Colossae. 
Colossae was about 100 miles east, um, upstream of Ephesus. So Ephesus is on the coast. He's converted there. He goes back to his hometown of Colossae or somehow ends up there in the Lycus River Valley and seems to have been pastoring the church there. A heresy had broken out. There had been a mixture of legalism, Jewish legalism and mysticism infecting, infiltrating the congregation. It was of such a concern to Epaphras that he made the long journey to Rome to seek out Paul in person to ask for help. Paul says this in his letter about Epaphras. He says in chapter 4, verse 12, as he writes to the Colossians correcting this error, he says in chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That, friends, is the heart of a pastor, the heart of a true shepherd of Christ's sheep, to care for the people while he's away. I mean, you can just imagine the options Epaphras would have had. Paul wants to plant churches everywhere. Could have gone back and just said, Paul, you know, I'm kind of done in Colossae. You know, is there a ministry door opening somewhere for me? Could you maybe send me out with Barnabas or one of the other guys and I could come along and maybe, you know, press the reset button? No. He had the heart of a pastor. He loved the sheep. He longed for their spiritual maturity. And so while he's in Rome getting help from the great apostle, He is praying that they would stand mature in Christ. Friends, all other goals for pastoral ministry end up missing the mark. All the energy of the ministry is channeled towards the benefit of the sheep to the glory of God. That you would be spiritually profited so that you would be mature. I want to close with, we've talked, this is the goal. So I want to talk just about a couple things as we close. Marks of spiritual maturity. And I just have two. There's a whole bunch we could talk about, but I just want to focus on two things regarding spiritual maturity. And the first one is that the spiritually mature, they are progressively growing by degrees into further transformation into Christ's likeness. They are changing. They adjust their life according to what they learn from God's Word. This is so key. If we get to the book of James, what we're going to see in the book of James is that humility is the key to not having a divided heart. James wrote to the to the churches because there was sin in the camps in the various churches and their their main problem is they had hearts that were divided they were spiritual adulterers they loved all these other things and they loved Christ Paul says that doesn't work and so you must be humble and you must receive the teaching and so when you hear something preached or you read something in the word of God or you study something on your own from scripture The key here is that you change yourself according to what 
you read. Oh, that's what it says, and my attitude doesn't line up with that. Or my life doesn't line up with that, and so I need to change. It's by degrees. If you're feeling under the pile, maybe a little from this message, just be encouraged that progressing in the faith is one small step at a time. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 1, to the Psalms. We're almost done. Psalm chapter 1. Right after Job. Job, then Psalms. We want the first psalm from the Psalter about nourishing ourselves on God's Word. Psalm chapter 1, just, I just want to look at the first three verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. All that he does, he prospers. Friends, there's the key right there. (laughs) The blessed person is like a tree with roots in the water. No tree grows like the cottonwoods in my backyard because they're on the creek and they're gigantic because their roots go right into that water. But verse 2, you must delight yourself in the law of the Lord. You want to go home and wrestle with this? Go home and wrestle about what you really love. What do you really love? What is your first love? Maybe it's you. Maybe it's something else. If you can't delight yourself in the law of the Lord, then that should be your prayer tonight. Confess that to God. God knows. He already knows. He knew before you got here today. Confess that to the Lord. I don't delight first in your word. I delight in all these things. Get your heart set right before, before the Lord. And then you will begin to experience the blessedness of meditating on God's Word and getting it into your heart and mind and adjusting your life to it so that now you are growing in Christ's likeness and you will be like that tree and you will start to bear fruit. It just will come naturally. It just will come naturally. The spiritually mature are feeding on God's Word. They are changing progressively. Second Corinthians 3.18 they commune with Christ in abiding prayer. John 15, 4, if you're taking notes, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We are, those who are, who are maturing spiritually, progressively, are abiding with Christ in prayer. We're, we're in constant communion with Him. There's so much more we could say, but we're running out of time. Let me just finish here with the second point. Marks of spiritual maturity. Those who are spiritually maturing are progressively growing by degrees into further transformation into Christ's likeness. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Secondly, lastly, the spiritually mature minister to one another. Let's look at one more verse together. Turn with me to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. 
First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Ephesians chapter four. The spiritually mature serve one another for the benefit of one another. They spiritually strengthen each other. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he, speaking of Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. To, there it is, there's our word, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I believe verse 12 says that all those offices, all those ministries, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, that would be pastors and teachers, are given to the church to equip the saints, all believers, for the work of ministry. You are equipped, or should be being equipped, for the work of ministry, verse verse. I lost it. Verse 12, for the building up of the body of Christ. So we build up one another in love. That's what should be happening in a healthy church. You should be receiving the word of God, and then you are encouraging, is the word we prefer, right? We all like to encourage one another. We're encouraging one another with what you have learned and now are living and modeling for the benefit of your brothers and sisters in Christ as well. You could also jot down Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We, the, the spiritually mature believers minister one to another. They teach one another. They share what they have learned for the benefit of others. Again, back to what I said earlier. You say, well, Jim, I'm not a teacher. That's not my gift. That's okay. You can share what you learn, can't you? What, you? what the Lord has blessed you with, you can share with somebody else, and they will be built up. Being active in the discipleship process means that you are willing to share what you know of God and His Word with others. This includes teaching, this includes correction, this includes warning as well as loving and encouraging one another. So as we close, we want to prayerfully seek for the Lord to grant us boldness that we might communicate the gospel, that we might proclaim Christ to others. We want to resolve to be a faithful follower of Christ who's not ashamed of the gospel. We want to extend appropriate invitations to other other believers to get together and talk about your faith. We want to pray for boldness so that we would pursue others who don't yet know the Lord. And we want to have a concern for the body of Christ like Epaphras who, while in Rome, prayed fervently that the body of Christ would become mature. To proclaim Christ, to pursue individuals, this is the practice of discipleship, and its goal is to promote maturity. Father, we thank you that your word is clear. We thank you that you have left us with a guide 
how we should live, how we should worship, how we should pursue ministry. We thank you for the Apostle Paul laid it out for us here in the fullness of your Holy Spirit as he wrote inspired scripture. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning and for myself, Lord, that we would be mature, intentional in ministry for the benefit of others and for your glory. And Father, we thank you. We thank you that we know when we pray according to your will, you hear us and that we have the things that we asked. And so, Lord, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen.